Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans, college athletic fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May. With the other another Tim May podcast, man, the uh, uh, the news never quits happening here in the world of college football and the world of college athletics. And a fellow I've got on, I've had on a few times. He's one of my favorite people on here. Of course, I say that about everybody. Bill Bender, anybody who agrees to be on my podcast, is one of my favorite people. But Bill Bender from the Sporting News, welcome back to the Tim May podcast, my man. Hey Tim, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm good, man. Especially since it seems like we got a really clear signal all the way to Pickerington. Uh, as we record this. And uh, uh, I really do appreciate you, man. You keep your, keep your ear to the ground, uh, et cetera, your, your foot on the gas, uh, covering basically college football, but other sports for the sporting news. But, uh, you know, as we, as we get into this, you know, we're just now learning uh, this week that all of a sudden Nick Saban is, has uh, inked a deal that get, keeps him at Alabama through what? He'll uh, uh, be 77 years old, 28, 29 football season. What do you think about that, uh, Bill? What's the, what's the message Alabama is sending to the rest of the world, including Ohio State? Well, it's just bad news for the rest of the, the FBS because we've all kind of tried to put a expiration date on what's probably been the most prolonged dynasty in the history of college football. So I, I think eight years, we talked about it before I came on, it settles debates with recruiting, with all of the uncertainty with national or, uh, name, image, and likeness. And it sends a message, like I said, to the rest of the college football world. I mean, since 2007, when he took over, the two schools with the best records are Alabama and Ohio State. The, ne- the only other two schools with a winning percentage over 80% are Boise State and Oklahoma. Yeah. But those two schools aren't the national brands. And I, maybe I'm disrespecting Oklahoma a little bit, but they haven't won a national championship since 2000. Ohio State. Alabama multiple national titles since then and it's always an arms race between those two and Clemson and everybody else yeah it is amazing and uh you know I want to get into this with you you know Ohio State just completed a uh its first massive uh official visits a weekend if that's what you want to call it this past weekend and stuff because uh recruiting it seems is back into full swing. I mean, you've, you've noticed that around the country, right? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the big time programs are wasting no time getting back on the uh, beaten path. Well, they got your guy Berm over there busy, I'm sure, as we, yeah. we get into camp season, which is nice because last year during COVID, we didn't have camp season. It made it more difficult. You know, I'm seeing a lot of videos pop up on my timeline, whether it's an Arch Manning throw or a Quinn Ewers throw and um, those kind of things. I mean, both of those guys, obviously mega recruits that are being courted over the next couple seasons here but uh yeah it's good to see and I think one of the big things to watch and and Berm could probably offer more insight on that than me is just the roster management factor with the super seniors and the scholarship limits and will these classes not you know Ohio State what do they Tim they bring in what 20 to 25 to sometimes 30 in a class I don't think that number is going to be very high in 2021 because of some of those things that happened because of COVID. Yeah, the 30, I think you're thinking about Alabama. 
you know, <laughs> the oversigned capital of the world. Uh, you know, 20 to 25 is about where Ohio State usually fits. And uh, it is interesting, man. I mean, uh, uh, you got classes coming, going, going sideways. I mean, Ohio State and Alabama are among the few schools that are still uh, recruiting one of the plums out there. You know, JT Tui Molowau, uh, the defensive end from, from Washington State. I mean, there's a guy that uh, could change a roster just by signing with whomever he signs, and it'll be immediate. I mean, you know, he'll be eligible this fall. And, you know, he's taking his official visits later this month everywhere, and uh, it's really going to be interesting uh, to see where he lands. I think Ohio State, you know, talking with Berm, as you said, Jeremy Birmingham, our resident expert, uh, along with Spencer Holbrook, uh, you know, they, there was a feeling that he was hit Ohio State bound several months ago, but uh, that feeling's kind of gone to the wayside now a little bit. It seems like a wide open affair, perhaps between Ohio State and Alabama, but it is interesting. It's Ohio State or Alabama for a kid from the state of Washington, right? <laughs> well, well, I mean, in those two, obviously, you, you want to get those defensive linemen centerpieces because it yes. really sets the tone for everything else. I mean, I look at Clemson. One of the things that I think they're going to bounce back defensively this year is those they played some freshman five-star defensive linemen last year. And uh, another guy that we both know, Marcus Hartman, and I always talk about that, where, you know, that freshman year, you get beat up a little bit. Even a guy like Jack Sawyer, which made his spring game performance so amazing, was you expect freshman defensive linemen to go through that until they're ready. And, you know, you probably won't see the as good as Jack's going to be. You'll probably see the best of him by the time he's a junior with Larry Johnson after two cycles. I mean, the same thing happened with Chase Young and both Boza brothers. They're, they're great when they come in. And I'm not saying they're not going to make an impact right away, but it takes a couple of years. Yeah, I was going to say, though, man, if they end up with Jack Sawyer and Tui Molowau on the same freshman uh, relief squad, you know, going in for Harrison or Tariq Smith and those guys, I mean, wow, that will be the rich getting richer, right? I mean, uh, it, it, I, I, I would love to see that, to be honest with you, because Jack Sawyer was almost unblockable in the spring game. You saw it. And, uh, you know, it was a tag tap, a tag sack kind of thing. Uh, as far as getting sacks in that in that game, uh, well, no matter no matter how you say tag sack or tap sack, right. it still sounds sounds a little you know right. iffy, right? <laughs> well, Jerry hasn't come up with a stat for that over at OSU yeah. on the press box yet. You'll have to get on Jerry Emick about yeah. that. Let's make it tap tackle. There we go of the quarterback. That sounds right. a lot better. But uh, it, you know, both of these guys are in that ilk. I mean, uh, like I said, the rich getting richer, but. Boy, if you're Larry Johnson, you're champing at the bit to get that on campus, right? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, that would be one of the big battles worth watching. And maybe that's – I'm not saying one recruit is the reason why, but certainly why the news of the uh, Nick Saban extension is out now is it does stabilize recruiting. I mean, obviously he's competing with younger guys like Ryan Day who, to our knowledge, won't leave Ohio State anytime soon, doesn't have any reason to. Um, yeah. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma who – uh, he'd be a better bet to go to the NFL to me than day just because of where he's located. And then um, Dabo and those guys, obviously it is what it is. And then he's competing with the rest of the sec and all the dirty backhanded things that go on down there. So yeah, I, I think that's why. So that'll be one recruit worth watching. But again, I think it's all barreling toward the season. We're all kind of watching July 1st to see how, name, image, and likeness not being across all 50 states. That's been a big talking point in the last month. Um, 
and of course everything else. I mean, we're we're in that part of the season now, Tim, where from now until July 4th, Sporting News will be putting out a bunch of those listy type things that we like to argue about. And, uh, you know, that's that's part of the game. We enjoy doing it. Give me a preview. Give me a preview of one listy thing you're looking forward to as far as you think could really stir the pot this uh, during, uh, I guess you'd call it the off season. For guys like me and you, there's never an off season. But okay. uh, give me something you think is going to stir the pot a little bit. Well, the Big Ten, I started the coach rankings today, and I have this big, long spreadsheet. And anybody that really knows me knows I'm a spreadsheet nerd. I will spreadsheet anything (laughs) from my weekly schedule to, you know, uh, with the youth sports that my kids do. I'm doing Pickerington Lax Cat stats and Midwest Marlins stats and Pink Tie-Dye softball stats. So my point is, as I started to do the coach list today and started to get into the meat of the Big Ten guys, so – I'll cheat with you. I mean, obviously, Ryan Day will, will be one. I mean, that's not a big spoiler alert. He's only lost a couple games there. Um, and, and who who do you do, too, though? Who is it James uh, Franklin? Is it Christ? Is it Harbaugh? Is it is I mean, it Kirk Ferentz is on a, having a yeah. quiet, good three year stretch that's a little bit better than those three. Yeah, he's kind of like instead of just going like Kirk Ferentz usually goes like this. It's like a cosine or is that sine or cosine? I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> it's been a little bit more of a, a up here, but uh, I'll tell you the guy that's done the most with the least, at least up to this moment. And I know it's a, a knee jerk reaction based on last year. Tom Allen <laughs> is doing yeah. a hell of a job. And from everybody you talked to over there, they're doing a hell of a job in recruiting too. I mean, not do not equate it at the level of Ohio state, but you know, if you get the players you really want uh, that fit your fit your style and you coach them up, so to speak, uh, you can have a really good football team. And we saw that last year with Indiana. Indiana was no joke last year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back from a quarterback standpoint and everything else this year because they made some plays when it really mattered last year, which really helped that streak along. And even when they lost to Ohio State, you know, that second half was one for the ages for Indiana. But uh, – right. I yeah. think Tom Allen, if I, you know, if I had to pick a second guy that's doing a hell of a job in the Big Ten, it would probably be him. And, I, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens with Minnesota this year with P.J. Fleck because, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see last year as a referendum on anything except one thing was that the, uh, the elite state elite last year. I'm talking about nationally. I'm talking about Ohio State, Clemson, and uh, Alabama, and even Oklahoma. You know, the, I mean, the elite state elite and during a tough, tough situation. But everybody else, man, paid the price one way or the other. You agree with that, right? Oh, for sure. And, and I think Minnesota, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, even Iowa, they didn't play enough games. I mean, yeah, we know the bottom dropped out of Michigan a li- little bit and Penn State had a terrible season. But it's almost like I think Penn State will get more of a pardon for that than Michigan because there's so much pressure on Jim Harbaugh this year. So, yeah. Again, it's, it's tough to separate all those guys that once you get two to seven, I mean, we didn't even talk about Pat Fitzgerald and another yeah. guy. When you said a guy that does more with less, I thought that's where you were going. But I mean, Tom Allen obviously had a big year. Indiana to me, and I, I always look, maybe it's just following the Big Ten as long as I have. If they don't have an encore, it will go unnoticed is what I'm saying. There's less pressure there than there is at places like Michigan where it's an all or nothing year or Penn state. I mean, they wanted to fire Franklin last year. If Penn state comes out and has a rough year, I mean, I think the expectations of those programs obviously 
they're expected to do what Indiana and Northwestern have been doing. Uh, Minnesota, you brought them up. They're a very interesting team this year because they got their quarterback back. Yeah. And that would be the other list we're doing is, yeah, our top 25 quarterbacks will be out later this week. Um, I'm not going to spoil where I have Stroud and Phoenix and uh, um, Tanner Morgan. They're the three Big Ten team, Big Ten quarterbacks on that list. Yeah. Well, so you've already got Stroud being the starter at, at the Ohio State University. Uh, I got you. I was going to get to that well, with you in a minute. That, that, no, that I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. One guy we left off, maybe maybe you said him, and I didn't kind of went by me because a lot of times this guy is totally forgotten is Paul Christ at Wisconsin. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, they've carried on, you know, it's going to be interesting to see uh, without Barry Alvarez there is their, you know, is their interim coach <laughs> when they right. need him, uh, how that program's going to go. I'm sure it's going to go fine. I mean, he's been, you know, out of the loop in, in terms of recruiting for a while now, but, uh, but Paul Christ, you know, there, there's definitely a name that deserves even sort of national recognition, right? Oh, for sure. And, and again, they, their season was so ripped apart by COVID last year. I yeah. remember the opener against Illinois. You're thinking, okay, these guys are going to challenge the Buckeyes again, at least make it interesting in Indianapolis. And then it just got all taken away. So, and then at the end of the year, they had trouble scoring. They, yeah. they really did. So, and then, but they're a team to keep an eye on in the Big Ten as well. But I, again, like, and you and I have had this conversation a couple times where it just, there's a big mountain to climb to catch up to Ohio State. I mean, this isn't the the mid to late 90s when on any given year, you know, Penn State and Ohio State were playing in a top five game or Michigan or Wisconsin, and it was a true toss up. I, I don't it's kind of where I'm at now is wake me up when Ohio State loses one of these games. And, and you don't. And I know that's something that Ryan Day probably has to guard against because we all kind of assume, OK, it's going to be Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma. But I think they've done a good job of managing that and finding ways to stay motivated last year using Clemson, obviously. And it'll be this year. What what will he use? Because on the flip side of it, Tim, I think Jim Harbaugh's tried every coaching ploy possible to try to beat Ohio State and none of them have worked. And that's what makes this year so interesting is everybody. Michigan could go seven and four, eight and three, nine and two. Doesn't matter. It's all going to come down. The national referendum on that program comes down to what they do against the Buckeyes. Yeah, and that, that will be at Michigan. Uh, the the, uh, the asterisk is last year when they didn't get to play. And, uh, you know, I had Corey, I had Master Teague III's dad on uh, uh, last week on this podcast. He's talking about a lot of things because uh, he was one of the movers and shakers uh, that helped, helped there be a Big Ten season last fall, along with a bunch of other parents from Ohio State and other, elsewhere. But, uh, but uh, he was talking about how one of the reasons Master, you know, his son wanted to come back at running back was, you know, obviously he didn't have the year he wanted last year. He's coming off an Achilles injury in the spring of that year. And number two, you know, one of the other reasons is he wants another shot at Michigan before he leaves. I mean, you know, these guys can't get enough, you know, of playing Michigan and uh, knowing that basically right now they have the superior program. And it, it is interesting uh, whether – uh, this new, you know, the coaching staff, once again, a little bit revamped at Michigan, how it's going to play out. But you've got to be stunned by the number of players who entered the portal, the transfer portal this year, Bill, from from Michigan. It's in the teens, you know, and it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, what 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 do you think is really from your uh, observing from afar? What's just your feel on that? Well, I mean, it, it, guys come and go on some of these. I think the coaching changes were were good. 
for their staff for what yeah. they're trying to do. I think bringing in a new defense was needed. Uh, Don Brown's defense, which you could blame, you could honestly blame Ryan Day for that because once, and we were both at that game, the the Dwayne Haskins, I, I don't even remember, was it 68, the 68 points they put on him? I think that was the end of Don Brown. Yeah. And then they, then everybody else started using crossing routes and they, they've been doing that for a couple years. So bringing in Mike McDonald should help. Bringing in Mike Hart, I know that's a guy that Ohio State fans absolutely loathe, but he's probably the last legitimate running back Michigan had. I mean, three 1,000-yard seasons, I think he's young. He understands what that program needs, and he'll do a good job. He did a good job at Indiana. He was a big yeah. reason why Indiana had success on offense. So, But the question is, they gave all those assistants three-year contracts, so what do you do with Harbaugh if they go seven and five? You know, are they going? Are they going to ride this out for three years with him, or are they going to go chase Matt, Matt Campbell if Iowa State has a big year? Because I still think he's the most logical replacement whenever they move from Harbaugh. But it's funny with that because if Iowa State's seven and five too, then what do you do? Yeah. So I think they're in a tough spot as a program. Um, I've always said, at least since Harbaugh got there, the biggest difference isn't necessarily developing NFL players Michigan's put a lot of guys in the NFL Tim yes difference to me is they don't put the top 10 pick guys in the NFL the Okuda the Chase Young the Bozas Ohio State's had back-to-back first round quarterbacks I think Michigan's last first round quarterback is I don't remember Chad Henney maybe I don't know (laughs) oh he wasn't a first I, I think you'd have to go back maybe Gerbach but I don't even think he was so it's been a while since Michigan's had a legitimate first-round quarterback. And yeah, but let me interrupt you. It's been a while since Michigan – I mean, you can be a really good college quarterback and not be a first-round draft pick, as you well know, you know. I mean, Tom Brady, right. uh, great example, uh, Joe Montana. But but the point is, it's, it's been a while since Michigan had a quarterback that you thought it could really lean on. You know what I mean? I mean, like right. JT Barrett. I mean, JT Barrett, whether he ever plays much pro football – was a hell of a college quarterback. He fit the system. He ran the system. And, uh, you know, that's what you don't even – it's kind of hard to feel what even Michigan's all about on offense, you know, these days. And uh, whether Mike Hart helps kind of like redefine that, I think is going to be uh, a thing to watch. I mean, clearly you got to be able to run the ball at some point, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the Big Ten, but you've definitely got to be able to throw the ball uh, with consistency in the Big Ten now, I think, to have a shot. Well, let's so let's run down the difference between the quarterback competitions then. So at Michigan, you you've got Cade McNamara, and he played okay in in place of Milton last year. I didn't think. I mean, if you want to put beating Rutgers as a positive, I suppose you could do that. I mean, he played well in that game, and then he got hurt. And then you have a five-star freshman, JJ McCarthy, is and a transfer in Alan Bowman from Texas Tech. Does yeah. Well, if McNamara starts and struggles early, how? early do they push up the timetable on McCarthy? And I think on a grander scale, Ohio State might be dealing with that because Stroud, from my vantage point, I mean, when you make that quarterback list and I put it in the blurb, I can spoil that too, is this is under the assumption he wins the starting job because whoever starts at Ohio State's going to be productive. Now it's just a question of who. Does he hold off? Do they bring up McCord or is it Miller? I mean, that's why fall camp, this is much less, and you and I have been through a couple of these. This isn't the um, Barrett Cardale and Braxton's playing receiver battle, and it's not Tate and Dwayne and Joe Burrow in the spring. And that's kind of surprising to me that this quarterback battle isn't getting more 
maybe national run, and and you maybe can tell me why. Well, I think one of the reasons is I think there's enough faith in Ryan Day right now and the fact when you check the pedigree of all three of these quarterbacks, one of these guys is probably going to be damn good, you know, because, you know, it's like uh, I always equate things to auto racing or boxing, but auto racing, you know, you can be the world's most talented race car driver, but if you're in the wrong car, if you're in the team that doesn't have a clue about what it's doing with its race car, you know, you're in deep, deep trouble. You're not going to be top of the grid, but Ohio state has put together a ridiculous race car for somebody to drive. I mean, when you look at this is as talented, I said this last year and I'm going to reiterate it. I'm going to, I'm going to add to that. I'm going to add a Trump card to that. Uh, this is the most talented offensive roster I've ever seen at Ohio state. I'm talking about not necessarily the greatest players at individual positions, but the deepest at wide receiver at possibly a tight end for sure on the offensive line. They've got about eight or nine guys that can play running back. They've got to figure out between five or six guys who's going to be their running back. I, Trevion Henderson is the real deal. Master Teague the third wants to prove some things. And then, you know, and then a quarterback, you're sitting there with, uh, with three thoroughbreds of different ilks, you know, but uh, Cal McCord, Man, you watch him in the spring. Oh, my goodness. You can see why everybody had him as a five-star and big-time player. So that's why I think it hadn't gotten – the, the uh, competition hadn't gotten as much run because I think the, the, uh, the idea there, the confidence, is that uh, they're going to find somebody for sure. No, but, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something to keep in mind with, with, with Ohio State. I just think whoever the quarterback there is, whoever the quarterback at Alabama is, is going to be Bryce Young and – Clemson, yep. of course, with DJ Uangalele. I think that's one of the big themes of the season is that the three superpowers in the sport are all breaking in new quarterbacks. Yeah. And they just produce first-round quarterbacks. And, Tim, I think it kind of circles back to what we were talking about recruiting. That's the new game within the game is – and I'll rope Oklahoma in there because they have Spencer Rattler, the Heisman front runner, And when you see some of these lists, he'll probably be ranked number one across most of them. So the four programs that we're talking about there – all of their coaches have kind of resigned, even Saban, it's an offensive game now. We've got to score 40 to 45 points. We've got to have elite quarterback play. And they're stockpiling quarterbacks all the way down into their junior year in high school that are five-star guys. That's why uh, Ewers, who I saw him on my timeline and his haircut on my timeline more than anything else last week, and him throwing it around. And then this weekend, it was Arch Manning who visited Clemson. So, and we all know the bloodline there. So, I think that's this contest of who can produce the best first round quarterback has become an interesting development in the last couple of years. Um, oh, yeah. Well, here's the all thing. Of them. Yeah. 707 and everything else is going on, you know, yeah, you've got to take advantage of what the system is spewing. You know, the system is spewing wide, big, wide open offenses. I'm talking about from the high school, junior high, middle school on up shooting big time wide open offenses with with wide receivers who are more than competent when they show up in college Marvin Harrison Jr is ridiculous he's a he's going to be a freshman he's so much bigger and maybe I mean and, and as good a pass catcher maybe as his dad I mean that's crazy but you know where you know his bloodlines and he's a bigger version of his dad you know maybe even faster who knows but you know and the and the rules all favor throwing the hell out of the ball, you know? And uh, and plus, as you know, and I know, and we've talked about this before, you and I have, 
it is rare on a college defense for you to have five great defensive backs. You know, you may have some tags coming in along the way that uh, say that this guy was a four-star or five-star, but there's a weakness in every secondary in college football, including Alabama, including Ohio State, including Clemson, as you saw in that uh, semifinal game last year, including for sure Oklahoma, Texas, right on down the line. And you're an idiot if you don't exploit that. And I think coaches, even like you said, Nick Saban has come around to that point. Well, yeah, and a receiver, and that's what makes Ohio State, to me, right there. With I mean, as in terms of if we're talking about national championship favorite, I mean, the last two years, it had it, been a receiver's become the most important position. Now, maybe not the most important, but very important when you look at, I think the stat was out there that every guy in that LSU-Alabama game two years ago, yeah, pretty much every skill position guy has been drafted since. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, Alabama with their receiver room last year, they had the best receiver room. And uh, the year before LSU did when you have uh, Terrace Marshall and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Thaddeus Moss. And that's what Ohio State has now. And even though Jamison Williams transferred, I mean, it's very rare. And I, when you have two guys right out the shoot in Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson, to me, they're both first rounders. You mm -hmm. talked about Marvin Harrison Jr., the sophomores that got experience last year. I was always having trouble picking who I thought the best one was. Yeah, I mean, but they that, would all yeah. make a flash play here and there. And um, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, you know, I mean, there, there's a guy to keep your eye on. You know, I mean, without mm -hmm. a doubt. And then Emike Egbuka, another one of those freshmen, along with Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, yeah, it's it's a loaded room, man. It's 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 kind of crazy, isn't it? A little bit. I mean, you've been around this area for a long time you you don't remember a room that deep at ohio state do you well i remember tandems though like i, I mean, yeah you remember tandems i'm talking about four and five five and six deep you right. know but go ahead though yeah you're no, right I mean, like the one that like whenever i think about ohio state for receivers like the first one that always pops in my head is uh david boston d miller yeah and then they had i mean you were i'm, I'm well they had ricky dudley in there before that with terry glenn because they had that big presence in the middle and i think who was opposite terry glenn was it I don't even remember now, and you were going to ask me that. I think I'm Stanley, maybe like a Demetrius Stanley. Or yeah, a, uh, yeah. as a matter of fact, well, yeah, definitely yeah. definitely in 96. I mean, you know, he ended up being uh, one of the key guys in that on, on that team. And uh, But, uh, uh, but yeah, with Terry Glenn, there's a great example, but they've never had this right. depth, in my opinion. Right. You know, I mean, you know, it was Demetrius Stanley and David Boston on that uh, 96 team, because you remember, uh, and then Dee Miller, but uh, David Boston catches the winning touchdown pass, but you know, Demetrius Stanley was wide open on the two right. plays before that. You know, it was just a matter of who Joe Germain wanted to throw to. But well, you're right. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. I'm just talking about just a, a, a depth standpoint, uh, which, you know, look at Alabama last year. Jalen Waddle was probably going to win the Heisman last year. You know, <laughs> right? Right. And he gets, and he, and he gets hurt. Breaks and then his, the other guy does, yeah. And then the Devontae other guy does. does. I mean, yeah. the other guy, Devontae Smith, was going to be that second guy who was going to, you know, really – be wide open when Jalen Waddle was double teamed or something. Instead, he steps up and become emerges as that guy. But you look at Chris Olave, how much they missed him in, in that Northwestern game Ohio State did, and what a difference he made, even against Alabama. He had some really good catches right. against Alabama. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, the fact that he decided to return for his senior year, I think really just uh, exacerbates the point I'm making of the depth there at that position. Let me ask you one yeah. other thing. You, I know you've got to get going here, and uh, – uh, but who, what is the storyline out there nationally that you've got your eye on through these summer months that you could think that you think could make, and you can ponder this for a minute, that you think could make a difference 
uh, once this season gets upon us? Um, well, I think that the expansion talk has been out there and that's, it's a tired topic, but if we do get the same four, if we get Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ohio state in the playoff, will that speed up the expansion talk? And, and I say that because a couple of weeks ago we ran our, here are the five teams that could make the playoff in the first time for the first time in 2021. And I, whenever I write something like that, I write it kind of thinking from a cynical nature, none of these teams are going to the playoff. I mean, I can give you a case for Texas A&M and I can give you the case for uh, Iowa state, North Carolina and uh, USC and Cincinnati's interesting to me because they maybe could force that a little bit. If they go 12 and 0 beat Notre Dame, beat Indiana and yep. continue what Luke's been, been able to do down there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we get all four of those teams again, how loud is that 18 playoff talk going to deafen college football? And I, I, I say that because I, I look at this sport right now and it's, it's nobody's problem in Columbus or Tuscaloosa or Norman or uh, Clemson right now. But I think if you're not a fan of one of those four schools, you're feeling, you know, they're starting to feel that. And I think there's some resignation in some spots where there isn't. I mean, the apathy levels at places like Michigan and, and Auburn, who just hired Brian Harzen and the apathy level around that hire. Um, yeah. yeah. Pac-12 is a whole conference. So what school can really pop up? I mean, and then it took a record-setting season from LSU and Joe Burrow to break up the establishment a little bit. But that's what I'm watching to see if this – this four-team monopoly on the sport. And I would rope Notre Dame and Georgia into there too because those six schools have had 23 of the 28 playoff appearances. Yeah. I mean, if the NCAA tournament was like that basketball combined (laughs) with those guys only stay one year anyway, the ratings on that would drop. Yeah. You know, I'm looking up as you're speaking there. I'm looking up the the ratings for the the national championship game. And uh, it averaged – Averaged 18.65 million viewers across the three or four networks. It was on a drop of 27%. Which is this stunning was, because yeah, of the this was this was yeah. Alabama versus Ohio State, right. the two of the premier legacy programs in the country. And people were at home because of COVID-19, mm-hmm. et cetera. And and they dropped the rating dropped 27%. So clearly something needs to be done to shake it up. But hey, but you don't. You look at Alabama and Ohio State, dude. I, you know, I grew up an Alabama fan. I always have to say that to to clear the air. Uh, it has never been football's never been as. I mean, it was never close to this in the Bear Bryant era. There were some really good runs, like in the '70s for Bear Bryant, but not like this. You know, Nick Saban won six national championships in 14 seasons. Are you kidding me? And those are ones you had to win on the field. You know, uh, uh, he's had seven national championships total as a head coach. A bear had six national championships, wire service national championships, you know, over his, what, 25 seasons. Uh, but this, that should have been, this is a coll- collision of the Giants, and it, the, the ratings dropped 27% when people were at home. So what, 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 does, it, what does that tell you? I mean, uh, I'm not right, sure you can yeah. fix that, you know? Right. And expansion may not fix that right away, but at least you give other teams more shots. And I, and again, that's kind of yeah, like my point is my point is if you go to eight games, eight teams, but then you still have those two teams playing for the national championship, right. is that going to pique people's interest more? I mean, you know, I'm not well, sure I, mean, I agree with that. It, uh, it goes both ways. I mean, like 
pros some pro sports thrive on that. Like we still talk about the Lakers and Celtics rivalry from yeah. the 80s. We we still, I mean, there was a period in baseball where it was like Braves Yankees, and and you kind of assumed that was going to happen. And I guess back in the 60s, it would have been Braves in Brooklyn or or not Braves in Brooklyn, Yankees in Brooklyn. Let me get that right. Well, early um, 60s, yeah. Yeah. It was the late Yankees 60s. every year. Yeah, um, late 60s came along Baltimore, New York Mets, and all these kind of guys. But you're right. I mean, go ahead now. But I think the drain is just seeing those same teams over and over again and not, you know, but I, I think those rivalries are kind of cool within because, I mean, we've seen in the last two years, Ohio State and Clemson kind of trade. Uh, what I mean, Clemson's beat Ohio State maybe it wasn't two years ago, but before that, the beat down the rivalry that's kind of emerged between those two. Yeah, Alabama and Ohio State have traded a couple. Clemson and Alabama have played four times. And, you know, I, it doesn't hurt to have a Notre Dame in there because I think Notre Dame being good helps no matter what anybody says. And maybe that's the Catholic school background talking, but Notre Dame being good is good for college football. Don't care what anybody says. Yeah, well, last it, thing, it really, I mean, yeah, it kind of flies in the face of this idea, though, that offense – you know, right. sells tickets and puts fannies in seats, you know? I mean, like I said, 27% drop of just your TV audience. Uh, again, these two teams, these two these two legacies, these two blue bloods, I'm talking about Alabama and Ohio State, have never played offense right. like they did last year. I mean, I'm, you know what I mean? It's never been that prolific. And right. if anything, fewer people want, wanted to watch it. So, hey, last thing uh, before you go. Uh, Jack Sawyer, you know, as we know, he's from Pickerington. We are, I remember you telling the anecdote about him meeting your son long ago in a sizzler or something like that. No, I'm just joking about the sizzler. But uh, uh, you, it is pretty exciting. Uh, you know, your little, even your son has gotten to meet a guy that could be a emerge, emerge as a big-time star for Ohio State, didn't it? It, it kind of piques people's interest, doesn't it? Well, well, I'm plugging everything in Pickerington. That was at Combustion, the local brewery here. And yeah. you know, Jack obviously was with his parents eating. There was nothing bad going on there. But Wait a minute, and your son obviously was with his, with his parents since you were at a brewery. Now go ahead. I, I was definitely drinking. So, I, no, but, uh, you know, that was that was one of those things. And, and definitely got to see Jack. And, and I think that's something that they've done here in Pickerington. And you've seen guys roll through the Ohio State program, the Michigan program, the Michigan State program. And that's what it's become here. And, uh, you know, Coach Hillerich at Pickerington North and uh, Coach Sherrod at Pickerington Central have just done a fantastic job of building. I was over at the – my daughter was doing a ball, volleyball camp the other – or today, actually. And I walk in through and you see kids conditioning and you see how big they are. And I'm like, man, did I just walk in a, a college locker room or what? And yeah. But they've done a good job of doing it with the competitive mindset. It starts with the youth football programs here. and But to see Jack have the success that he has, that's one – I can say that safely. That's one buck I'm definitely hoping goes on to a really successful NFL career because you've seen him do it the right way here all the way through. And I'll tell you what, Tim, if he if he didn't play football, I'm pretty sure he could play for the basketball team too. Yeah. You know, I had him on my podcast, remember, last year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was one of those guys who's also poised to take advantage of the name, image, and likeness thing to build his brand. He even He talked about that then, you know, what was coming and stuff. And he definitely is one of those guys that could uh, – could really exploit that, didn't he? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's what that's built for. And, you know, with Ohio State athletes, there are so many that you and I have talked about that I think what name, image, and likeness will help and is those guys that maybe don't – and I, Jack doesn't qualify here, but uh, the guys that maybe don't go to the NFL career, the, the long-tenured career. We just yeah. dropped a, a D. Miller reference a couple of weeks ago. I remember D. Miller and a lot of Buckeye fans probably do too um, – because he was a heck of a wide receiver. Maybe didn't have the NFL career that some others did, but 
they're those guys, the, the guys that maybe you see on the TV a little bit, but they go on and be around Columbus. And there are so many of them. That's one thing I have learned through the youth sports scene is you see a Craig Krenzel baseball team now and his yeah. kids are playing. I've talked to my buddies in UA and there's a lot of former Buckeyes up in the UA area. And it's cool because my kid, maybe not at that big as some of their kids, but uh, you know, it's cool to have them compete. And, and you figure that with that, those are the guys that could have more success and uh, get, get more out of the college experience to make who, what they're worth then because they deserve that. Yeah, it is interesting uh, how many Ohio, former Buckeye football players, I, I, some people call them former Buckeyes, they're always Buckeyes, but former players at Ohio State right. opt to move back into the central Ohio area because, you you know, there are all kinds of things that you can take advantage of, and including the fact it's over 2 million population area, you know, whereas Tuscaloosa, I'm not sure offers that many, you know, uh, post-graduation, uh, post-moving on opportunities for the players and stuff. That's what makes this Ohio State – program I think very very unique as opposed to just unique I like to be redundant if I can but uh, Bill Bender speaking of being redundant man thanks for being on the Tim May podcast again yeah check it you can check out all our stuff at sportingnews.com I always enjoy coming on to talking to you talking to about Berm and and the work that you guys do over there I know you got two OU grads over there doing a hell of a job and uh Spencer (laughs) Holbrook and Pete Nakos they're they're the best and uh you know, I'm glad that you got some green over there, even though uh, you guys are all about scarlet and gray. Well, like I said, I paid tuition uh, for my son to go to Ohio University way back when, Kyle May. And uh, I, uh, but I like, I always tell that story uh, the, the, the time that when Ohio U was beating Ohio State at halftime or whatever, and they're all in a bar up on uh, Court Street. Is it Court Street? Do I have that right? right? It- and should, they're all rooting. What do you mean? Rooting. Is that what it is? Of course, it's yeah. Court Street. I know. Come they're on. all rooting and r- ranting and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, they said they all figured out. Oh my goodness! Wait a minute. What if Ohio State gets beat? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. In other words, they wanted Ohio U to be competitive, but Ohio State still runs the state. You know, in terms of uh, who you're rooting for on the big stage. But uh, that's pretty funny. That's a good angle. But hey, Bill Bitters, Bill Bill, Bill Bitter. Thanks for joining me again, a man on the Tim May podcast. I finally got that out for three tries. Oh, but, uh, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.